Yo, yo, welcome back to Unbuckle this week. Today, I have the pleasure of rocking with the king of the A&N Club, Eric Law, the former Salisbury Seagull turned Denver Pyle great. He's the most efficient scorer in the game. Not only is he a low-key three-time champion and five-time all-star, what many don't know about Law is his commitment to a more diverse and equal sport for everyone through his work with Denver City Lacks. Let's dive into this week's episode with the Atlas Lacrosse Club star, Eric Law. Eric, what's good, bro? How we doing? I'm doing well, Jules. How you doing, buddy? I'm chilling, man. Where you at right now? I am in uh, Denver. I'm in uh, the home state, just chilling. Oh boy, we got the game on. I can't believe I scheduled this during the game. That's my fault. <laughs> that's all right. I got on the background, so if you see my eyes peeling up or get excited, that's what it's going to be. Yeah, hopefully my roommate doesn't yell too much. Um, who you got for the win? I uh, going back to my Denver days. I can't stand Ohio State, so uh, I'm going. I'm pulling for the tide here. I'm full on uh, roll tide. Not a boy, Alabama. Let's go. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, <laughs> I, let's jump right into it, man. Um, well, first off, I appreciate you coming on here. I'm a huge fan. I've actually never um, really spoken to you that much. Um, and I, obviously, I've only been playing for a couple of years in the league, but um, I've, I really admire your game and stuff. I, I feel like we would have crossed paths by now. Um, but, you know, something for me that, you know, I've noticed, at least, you know, depending on who you talk to, I feel like a lot of times with, with your style of play, and I think similar with mine, you know, I feel like people don't really give you the credit you deserve as a player, you know, in terms of what you've been able to accomplish. You know, five-time MO All-Star, we're allowed to talk about that now with the merger, you know, three, three-time MLL champion, you know, 2016 game MVP, and, and obviously, you know, really up there with the Atlas and the, the past two seasons with scoring. But can you talk a little bit about why, why you think that your style of play and, and, and how you are as a player overall maybe gets lost in the mix a little bit? Uh, I think it's just because I'm a unassuming and kind of boring player. Um, <laughs> and, I, and I just mean that in a way that, like, I don't have any crazy goals. Like I'm not out here. Like I can't sting anything from 15. I can't, you know, I don't have a crazy shot. I don't have a crazy like split dodge or anything like that. Like makes people fall over a trip or anything. I'm just kind of a player that I just try to put myself in a best spot on the field to always be a threat to the defense. And so uh, I like to think that 99% of the time, it's just me catching the ball in the crease and quick sticking into the goal, which is probably the easiest thing to do. Um, or the, probably the only like coolest thing I can do is crease dive, which is, you know, when you only have a three inch vert, these cameras and the uh, media team and the PLL do a great job of making me look like I can jump a lot higher than I can. Um, so I think, I mean, that could be part of it. Honestly, like I don't really care like what outsiders think of like my game, if I'm boring or if I don't really think, cause like in the end of it, like I don't even think I do anything that cool. Like personally, like I just try to set up my teammates for them to be, the most successful that they can be. And I've been extremely, extremely fortunate to play with uh, some of the best players in the world and some like absolute legends of the game dating back to my outlaws days that, you know, I was always the guy that I could be like the fifth or sixth option on the offense and just kind of find my ways into areas. And, and I had great teammates that would find me. And um, I think that's a huge part of it that um, my teammates make me look a whole lot better than I am. So, uh, you know, I got one of those guys that I, yeah like I just I just think I play a boring style and what makes me think of that is uh back when I was in college all like playing with like Mark Matthews and, and Westberg and, and Jeremy Noble and can't play all these guys that were Canadians that just have like these flashy like plays in practice 
And all the goalies used to make fun of me because I was the boring finisher. You know, I'd come in, a fake high, shoot low, and like keep going around the goal. They're like, for once, we want to see you try to do something like a behind the back or fake us or make us go silly. And I was like, well, that's all I know how to do is just the fundamental play of I'm just going to keep my feet moving and hopefully put it by you. Yeah, I'll leave it to Mark and Berg on that end. Is there yeah. anything, you know, when you talk about how you are as a player and what you're looking for, is there anything strategy wise that you're kind of consistent to? Uh, throughout the game and kind of throughout a season because I, I have a couple of thoughts in, in my head um, about kind of ways that I position myself but I'm curious to hear your thoughts yeah I mean and I think that just goes to like there's so many different ways that someone can play like the exposition I feel like um, you know and I think you can see it like first and foremost in our league um, you look at a guy like Jordan Wolf like he's gonna get the ball he's gonna dodge and you know a lot of times he's gonna dodge to his right hand but he's so damn fast and so damn quick that he can get to that spot like anytime anytime he wants to you know and then they bring in uh like a Macintosh down there he runs a two-man game and then you look at you know even on our team like Rob Pinnell one of the best players ever played a game especially from like back at X like those guys love to have the ball on their stick and they love to dance behind the goal and, and try to create um and then you know my style has always been like I'm gonna attack the goal and attack the defense when they're at the most vulnerable spot they can be um, so, you know, for me, a lot of times that's uh, a shot goes on the end line. I'm going to try to get a quick restart and try to get a quick step on my guy and just see what happens. And a lot of times, like I'm just putting that pressure on them to see how the defense reacts. Like, is there someone sliding to me and someone's going to be easy open shot or, you know, like, you know, what, maybe I might get a quick step on them and then I can take it to the goal. Uh, but the more you can like put that constant pressure on them with the ball and you're sticking without the ball on your stick. Um, that's always kind of been my style. And um, I think dating back to my like Denver days, especially from like playing behind and everything else is, you know, we're trying to transfer the ball from one side of the field to the other as fast as we possibly can. Cause if you think about a defense sliding and rotating, you know, we want to get them from that strong side, from that first dodge, we need to get the ball and we need to get to that backside. So then that midi has enough time to catch that ball moving forward with the defenseman coming at him. Cause that's the easiest time to ever beat a defenseman is when they're approaching you, you can just make one move and go. Mm -hmm. um, so that's always kind of been my you know, philosophy on playing from behind is I want to get the ball in and out of my stick as quick as I can. And then anytime that I see a defense and it's a good time to attack, I'm going to take my chances and go. Yeah. I think something you said there kind of being a constant threat or always being able to put pressure on the defense. I, I look at it similarly. And I think, you know, with the ball in my stick, I'm, I think I'm a pretty dynamic player, you know, caring, but I really think that where I make my most impact. And I think anyone can say this, that, if strategic about the game is is what you're doing off the ball to constantly be a threat and that's something that I don't know if I really picked it up you know watching you play as much until I started to get to the pros but I noticed that you would do similar things that I would do and I was always wondering like why more people don't like do some of these things because it's so easy to get one you get buckets which is great for your team two it gives you confidence to get that early easy goal you know, you could put two in off ball, like you're, that's two in the bank right now. Like the rest is, is gravy on top of that. Um, and, and three, it's, it's just like, it's a way to consistently, you know, kind of mess with your defender and, and keep him on his toes, which is keeping him out of the play and, and wondering, okay, if I'm out of worry about Eric or Jules, well then I can't be ready to slide to another guy. Um, and that's something that I feel like for myself over the years that I've kind of invested into and, and done pretty well that again, like maybe people aren't noticing it as much, but it plays a huge impact on your team and the flow of your offense. Um, and really for you, like you see, you've been a champion a number of times, like you need that 
you know, in a six on six, you know, kind of setting. And you also need the guys that are able to carry the ball. But, you know, if you're able to put yourself, I call it, I call it like the last man in the offense when everything else is going on. If you're able to see what your defenseman is doing and know that he's got to be, you know, accounted for to be a slide or be a hedge in some capacity above the cage, as us as X attackmen, we're always looking for those, those tiny slots to be able to get that feed on the backside or be able to follow through that slide, whatever it might be. Um, and it's something where, you know, you call it the eight and in club. I kind of mess and call it like seven and in club just because that's my number. But eight and in club, you're the, you're the president. I call myself <laughs> vice president. Um, and it's just a, you know, I think it's a, something that younger players can really look at the style of play and, and, and think of, you know, maybe I don't always have to be the, the most dominant ball carrying player, midfielder, attackman. I don't have to make all these crazy plays. You can be an effective um, and efficient player. You know, I think you were number one in 2019 when I was playing in efficiency and, and I was number two. And it, it's, it just really comes down to putting yourself in the right spots consistently and caring, right? And, and then being um, strategic about that over the course of 60 minutes. Oh, exactly. I think you hit the nail on the head. And I remember my first time really seeing you play um, was when you were with Florida with the launch. I remember you, we played in Denver. I remember mm-hmm. maybe, I think it was your rookie season. Yeah. But I remember you went off in the game. I think we got the better, the better part of you guys in the game like in the long run. But I remember you absolutely went off. I remember like looking at like Tucker Durkin who's playing defense. And I was like, man, this kid's going to be a star. Like I've, I've always really loved the way that you play. I think you do it the right way of, you know, like for me personally, like finding the perfect balance between someone who can carry the ball and break down their defense, but then also like find the ins and outs and lips and crannies of like, can you play off ball that if, you know, if you don't have the matchup that you want and like, you're going against someone that, you know, it might not be the best matchup to constantly dodge this guy. Like, can you still be effective? Mm-hmm. And um, so I've always enjoyed that about your game, but um, yeah. One thing I think that you said there too, is, you know, uh, cut, like making your defenseman always having to worry about you, I think is also like a huge piece of it of, you know, um, you might not be producing in the game, but then being so worried about you either behind the net or constantly cutting that they're taking so much attention onto you that's opening up your other teammates. Mm-hmm. Um, like thinking back to it, like in my, with like my days of the outlaws in 2016, I believe it was, we played uh, New York in the semifinals. And I think I only had one point in the game. Uh, Joe Fletcher was covering me, which me and him going back to when he was at Loyola and I was at, at Denver, we always had some crazy good matchups and, loved going against him just because it was so much fun to compete against him. But like, he basically shut me out, but their game plan was basically anytime we had a wing dodge, he was coming out and like pressing X, which meant that that slide wasn't be there. And Matt Cavanaugh and Mike Bocklet went off for like five or six goals each. And for me, like, I was like, I think that was one of the best games I ever played in. Cause I was like, yeah, like I'm going to take away this pressure. You're going to have no one coming underneath. Like have yourself a day, like go off. And, uh, like for me, like if you can be a teammate that opens up things for your other teammates, for the success of the team, like what, what more can you ask for? And what more fun is it to play in an offense that doesn't care about individual success, but team success? Absolutely. And, and you see that, you know, with a guy like Rambo, who, for my money, is the best in the game right now. He, every Absolutely. game he plays that he doesn't score or have a lot of points. He's talking about, you know, what he's doing to be a threat without the ball in his stick and how he's absorbing that defenseman. And there's five guys playing outside of that. If you have the right guys on offense that, that can really handle the rock without you facilitating, uh, it puts your team in a good spot. Um, and it, I know you, you kind of mentioned it to me prior to, but I didn't realize this, that you, you played a little bit of box. Has there been anything with the box game or, or being out in Denver and it being pretty popular out there that you've kind of seen translate to your game a little bit or, or kind of helped you along the way? 
I think more so just like the the toughness and just constantly being able to handle the ball with pressure, uh, both carrying it and like cutting and someone draped all over in you and you have a split second to react to handle the ball. And, and then once you do handle that ball, like you got to put on a goalie that has huge pads and you got a small little area that you got to put it into. Um, so I was, I was lucky enough to be exposed to box, uh, when I was at, at Denver with, with Matt Brown being a Canadian guy and then having a bunch of Canadians on the team that we kind of had a little bit of Canadian influence. Um, and then, yeah, my rookie year, I got drafted by, uh, the Toronto rock, uh, and was able to go up there and play for, for a year and was super thankful and grateful for that. And, um, looking back at my time, I played with some absolute legends of the game, like Colin Doyle, uh, Patty Merrill, Bill Greer, uh, Josh Sanderson, Garrett Billings, like all these guys just kind of took me under their wing and just showed me how to play the game uh, the kind of like correct way. And um, I think it just helped make me more a complete player as uh, kind of carrying the ball and just like that toughness, uh, like box. They don't care who you are. And if you are American, they kind of come <laughs> after you even more. So and, like yeah. really try to rough you up. So um, that was, I feel like one part that kind of took it away from my game and, and just being a more accurate shooter. Um, like you really got to pick your spots and and really got to learn how to move uh, the goalie from side to side. And and uh, that's one thing I've always loved about the box game. Yeah, efficiency is the name of the game, in my opinion. I think a lot of guys kind of overlook that and, and look more to style than they do efficiency. Um, and I know you touched on you know, a little bit about your, your Denver days. Can you talk to me a little bit about, you know, being a Denver guy through and through, you know, where you grew up, Colorado, and, and then kind of heading off to Denver, obviously played with the Outlaws for a number of years, but Talk to me a little bit about that hometown pride and, and being able to go to Denver and, and play for Coach T and, and Coach Brownie. What was that experience like? It was awesome. It was uh, like, there's almost like no words to even like describe how cool it was. Um, growing up in, in Centennial, which is probably like 20 to 25 minutes away from DU, uh, my high school and college were actually on the same street. Uh, wow. University just straight, like 20 miles right down the road is, is basically all it was. But um I mean, it was awesome. I have a big amount of pride for Denver lacrosse and like how good the sport has been even before uh, Coach D came to Denver, how good do you like those programs were and and how good some of the players were that were in Colorado that went off and did did bigger and better things. Um, but I actually spent my freshman year at Salisbury uh, D3 school out in Maryland. Um, got injured, decided, you know, I kind of want to be closer to home. Going to try my hand at, at making the DU lineup. Uh, ended up in and probably ended up being like just the best decision ever made with um, you know, the coaching staff, the guys on the team just, just made me feel completely at home and, and just was like the perfect fit for myself. Um, I always like to joke that uh, Salisbury did okay without me because I'm pretty sure they went on to win the next three <laughs> national championships. Uh, so they didn't miss me at all. And um, so, yeah, so just being a Denver guy, then being able to get drafted by the Outlaws, you know, playing at Mile High Stadium where uh, we're season ticket holders of the Broncos, playing on that field, like it's just an incredible story. And then helping the Outlaws win their first championship after being to so many uh, before, never being able, to, being able to close it and then being a part of that team. It's like looking back on it, it's one of those things you're like, did that actually happen? Like, did I actually get to be a part of this and experience these things? And I know once my playing days are over, I'll, I'll uh, appreciate it even more. Like the time I got to spend and playing in front of uh, family and friends and the kids I coach and, and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, when you're in the moment and still trying to play, you're just trying to think about that next one. And, and uh, that's really what I've been trying to focus on and, and trying to, uh, you know, write the ship that is with the Atlas. You touched on a number of things there, but one thing I want to talk a little bit more about it is just Coach Brownie. I actually met him. He came out to Torrey Pines. Uh, Jono, who's a coach out here, is pretty close to them through the recruiting circuit a little bit. Um, so I got to kind of see, you know, how he operates and, and some of the things that are important to him as a coach. But could you touch on, you know, maybe some of the things that 
you learn from him, uh, him as a player. I know he's, he's one of the most impactful minds in the game. Um, and, and everyone that kind of comes out of there really, really speaks to, you know, the type of coach he is, the type of man he is, and, and the impact that, that he's really had on them as a player. Um, so I'd love to know more about what he's been able to do for your game and, and some of the things you guys were able to talk about while you were there. Yeah, Brownie was the guy that kind of like changed me into like really understanding an offense from like an outsider's view and like really understand everything that's going on that like each six, each guy, so it's the six guys that are on the field at the time, like they all make a huge impact on the play. And there's only one ball that's going around, but the five other guys have just as much responsibility as the one guy that has the ball. Mm-hmm. Um, so when I first transferred back, I actually was a midfielder. So I had to know everything that like every midi that needed to know, like you had, I had to learn everything there. And I also need to learn everything from like an attack point of view. Um, and I think that personally for me was like the biggest jump that I've made from like um, a lacrosse IQ piece was just knowing absolutely everything that should be going on the field at once on an offense. Um, and, you know, he always preaches uh, ball movement and people movement. Um, so if you have the ball in your stick, you got to be moving. And if you don't have the ball in your stick, you need to be moving just as much, if not more, from the person that has the ball. Um, and so his style, just kind of like that motion offense, I think now has kind of trickled down. And you see a lot more programs running it now, especially uh, with like the the 80-second shot clock or 90-second shot clock, whatever it is in college, I always forget. Uh, we have three leagues with different shot clocks. So I always forget which is which. But uh, um just the way that he just approached that, like the idea of understanding a defense and then attacking spots that makes them vulnerable. And I know I use that word a lot just because, you know, you always want to put defenses in a spot where they have to make decisions and it makes it easy for yourself. Um, so if you know a defense is going to slide from a certain area, you're attacking it. If you know they're not going to slide from a certain area, that's what we're going to do. It. And just finding those little tendencies that defense always does. Um, and that's what makes him so good is he's, he's so good at reading a defense and finding those tendencies and then attacking it right away. What is it, what is it about his system, you know, that is so important, you know, the style that he really promotes to you guys as players on the field. And I know it's something that you know, a lot of coaches have tried to replicate, but it's definitely, you know, when you watch Denver play it, it's so distinct, distinctive and something that you're like, these guys, it almost like you guys don't have to draw slides sometimes, but you're always figuring out ways to put the ball in the back of the net. Yeah. I think that partly comes down to part of it is like in the fall, it starts so simple. You know, you're running like two or three sets, but everything has to be fast. So if you're not catching the ball, moving forward into a dodge, like he's going to blow the whistle and the next guy's in. Uh, yeah. If like you're not moving and going to the right spot and like, and catching it and immediately attacking the backside, he's blowing the whistle and the next guy's in. So you learn really quick that like, yeah, the offenses look really complicated, but at the end of the day, like it all gets broken down to very simple, like normal dodge, follow, float, basically type terms. Mm-hmm. Uh, but everything has to be done in an incredibly fast way that, um, you know, if you're wasting time of catching the ball to back up to go into a dodge, th- there's nothing more that, that drives Coach Brown insane than watching someone do that. So you learn really quick that, you know, you don't even have to be the fastest, strongest, whatever guy. Like you can catch the ball from, one side of the field, especially if you're behind the goal, and I just put myself in a position where I can catch the ball moving forward, that defenseman now that's approaching me is automatically going to be a step to two steps behind me. Mm-hmm. My hands are free. I can either make that feed or, you know, turn that corner and, and get my own shot off. Um, but his just biggest thing is just, you know, constantly attacking the defense. The pressure is always going to be on them, and you just grind out possessions. And and that was one thing that we always took um, – we valued a lot, especially it was when before the shot clock era, like we would have like two or three minute possessions and then end up with an easy dunk 
uh, on the inside. And, and that was always another thing was, you know, why shoot a three pointer where you can get a dunk and just keep working for the best shot instead of just an okay shot. So keep working. Like at any time you're going to be able to get a shot off, but let's work for the best one, not just a good one. Yeah. I mean, I'm not shooting the ball from 15. If I can dunk it on top of the crease, that's all day long. Yeah, Not happening. Um, but let's switch gears a little bit from the college game. You know, obviously you, you touched on a little bit with the outlaws and being able to be there, you know, if you're a five-time all-star with them, um, and now you've kind of transitioned to playing for the Atlas lacrosse club for two years now, what's kind of been the difference between, you know, playing for Denver and that team and that culture, which, you know, guys that played in the MLO and everyone, anyone that was familiar with it really understood what you guys had going there and, and, and how important and special it was, but, you know, comparatively now to the Atlas where, you know, call a spade a spade. You guys have had you know two tough seasons, and and you're definitely a leader on on that side of the ball on the offense. Um, can you just talk a little bit about what that you know transition has been like for you, and and what you're doing, and looking forward to to kind of switch that culture a little bit. Yeah, and then uh, first things first with like the Outlaws organization, it started from the top down. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it started with the with with owners and the Bowling family that they wanted to win, and that was the expectation, and they were going to create a culture that. Uh, everyone knew exactly that it was all about the team and it was never about the individual. And, and you knew that from the day that you stepped in from, you know, president Mac Freeman to uh, Tony Seaman, to the coaching staff, to everyone, and then to the leaders. Like when I first got into the league, you know, it was Jesse Schwartzman, Brendan Mundorf, uh, Zach, we were these guys that were like legends that I looked up to. And you just kind of followed in their league that, that everything that they did was all about the team first. And, and, you know, Staggs was actually the coach at the time, my rookie year. And he always preached like, we need to have assisted goals. So that was just kind of like the common theme that uh, it didn't matter who scored as long as it showed that the the outlaws had a goal. And I think that that was just something that you kind of go into. So like, that was one thing with the outlaws is like with the organization, you knew exactly like what was expected of you. And then coming over to the Atlas is just completely different as you know, last year, first year, you're trying to set that precedent and trying to set that culture for the years to come, which is crazy to think about, but you know, you know, 15, 20, 30 years from now, like there could be guys playing for the Atlas that, you could help start that culture that then trickles down. And obviously that's the goal. Um, and yeah, I think it's, it's no, like everyone knows that we've had struggles and, and with the the talent that's on our roster, everyone picked us to be at, at the top and, and it's not always just the talent that wins you games. Um, you know, you got to come together with some chemistry and you got to find an offense that fits for everyone and, and puts people in the right spots. And, and uh, we just haven't had that yet. And I think that we've been close uh, and a lot of games to really finding that piece that just is going to make us click. Um, you know, at the end of the 2019 season, I think it was from like the all-star break on. I think we had one of the best records and we were trending in the right direction. And then your Redwoods team had to go out and win by 45 goals against the Chrome and, and send us <laughs> packing. Uh, so that one was tough and kind of NRC and right when we felt like we were gaining some speed. And then, and then this last year, I think just that the, the PLL Island championship was just, it was, it was tough. You know, you're only there, you only have a day or two between each game to like really get going. And, and sometimes I think during the regular season, that week um, that you kind of have off is a way that everyone kind of resets and kind of can gain some perspective on things and come back in and really attack that week that, you know, when things are bad at the PLI, I'm like, you got to figure out quick or you're going home. And, and unfortunately, <laughs> you know, that kind of, yeah, that kind of ran into us. And we just, you know, we like, we just couldn't quite figure it out. And uh, you know, we had some close games, but, um, we're just going to keep building, you know, there's nothing else that you can do. There's no, like, I think one thing with our team is with the, the names that are on the roster and, you know, the social media presence and, and just like how much the guys have done for the game. Like there's a big target on our back that everyone mm-hmm. expects us to win. And we don't like, 
it's easy to point the finger at people. And um, so, you know, we just got to put up and just, we got to keep grinding. We know there's a lot of pressure on us and everyone wants to see us kind of lose, which I totally understand that if I was in somebody else's shoes, I'd be like, yeah, I hope those guys lose, you know, like the Yankees, everyone either love the Yankees or they hate the Yankees. There's no in between. Um, so I think that we're just going to keep grinding. Hopefully, uh, you know, this next year we get to training camp and uh, we can start to figure it out. And with another year all together, that chemistry just keeps building. That, that game in 2019 that we played you guys, or you guys busted our ass. I knew that that was a trap game. That felt like, honestly, it felt like Denver in 2018, we, we got a win in Charlotte and came into Denver. Not that Denver and Atlas were the same teams, but I had the same like kind of vibe in the air about what the game, how it was going to go. And I felt like you guys were, were about to pop off, had the talent. It was just a matter of time. Um, and, and obviously you guys went on a pretty big run there and then you know, came time with that goal differential. I don't know how the fuck that, that happened. That was insane. I actually, I got knocked out that game and got taken out and there was just like a bunch of crazy shit. Like Clark threw one that was like to cab for a two bomb, like Garnsey. Yeah. Cab had the double bouncer two pointer. (laughs) Yeah. Like just crazy shit. That is just like, I don't know, but that's a great rule. I, I I really do believe that with the, uh, how they kind of figured that out. was pretty cool. Um, I love it too. I think it makes it, makes it more competitive throughout the league and even more competitive league too. Yeah, which is it's crazy how competitive it already is. Um, and, and what you were saying with the PL Island, it, it, you're in there. I wasn't there, but I, with, you know, talking to the guys, it's like, even looking back, if you play a game, you play shit, it's, it's nice. You get that week off, you get to watch the film, you know, digest it, figure it out. But there it's like, oh, you shitty game on Monday? Well, another game on Tuesday. And, and then it, and it's rails still in your off. head. And it's like the taste is in your mouth. And like, you could have one bad play and the confidence is down. It's just like, it was a, a bunch of things that, none of us had ever experienced before, you know, even in college, like you really only play once a week. So it's not like a, a grind of playing a bunch of ones. So it was a new experience for everyone, but. And obviously, it. yeah, obviously Rob new to the team, another ex attackman. How did you guys kind of work out, you know, ball handling, you know, your ability to play off ball, but also being the main quarterback last year, how do you guys kind of talk through that and then figure out that chemistry? Yeah. Give props to uh, coach Ruger, who is, trying to come up with a lot of different options that, you know, at times I would be back there at times, Rob would at times we'd both be back there. And I think that was the other piece of just trying to find a way in that short amount of time that me and Rob could both um, feel that we were being productive, basically trying to play like the same spot where we both have, you know, made uh, a professional career of trying to like be the guy back behind the goal. Mm-hmm. And um you know, I think Rob is one of the best to ever play the game, especially coming from behind the goal. So uh, and he loves to dodge, do that kind of stuff. And I know that I can be someone that can be a, an off-ball guy as well as a carrier. So I just tried to do, you know, anything that we thought that was going to help our, our team play. And, um, you know, I think that it was tough because even at times we were, we were having three righties at attack uh, with Ryan Brown up top. And then uh, also with uh, with Cloutier in there as well. I think that we just we just couldn't quite find the right – um, combo of everything with like an offense trying to go. And I think that was a big part of it too, is just trying to find an offense in a way that everyone felt comfortable and mm-hmm. everyone felt confident in the way that we were playing and the offense that we were running. And, and I think that that does just take time. And unfortunately when you only have two weeks to figure it out, we just kind of, we kind of ran out of time. You talk about building chemistry a little bit. I know, you know, you're a guy that brought the game 22 to the team. Could you talk a little bit about that um, and kind of playing with the guys and, and what that looks like? What was that? Sorry. The game, uh, the 22 car game that you, uh, oh, yeah. that you brought to the guys. Talk a little bit about that with the, uh, how you're able to build some chemistry through that. Yeah. So with, you know, 
being at the island, you'd have a practice, especially at the start, and then have a couple hours of downtime. And people would just be hanging out in the locker room and, you know, throwing on a TV, throwing on Sports Center, or, or just playing a card game. And uh, a super easy. I've never been a big like poker guy. I get too bored with mm-hmm. it. Like after two or three hands, I'm like, all right, all in, get me out of here. Um, but we started a game uh, that, you know, play back here with my friends called 22. It's just an easy card game that, Basically, you go around circle, you play all the hands your card, and then whoever has the highest card left gets that number. And once you hit 22, you're out. And that kind of just took off. And that was just kind of the game. Anytime we were in the locker room, it was like immediately look at each other like, who's up for 22? Like, who wants to play? Uh, and then even like we'd get back to the hotel after games or something. And and that was a nice way to just like get guys in a room together where you're playing a game. And then you, you start talking about life. And uh, one thing I've always loved about especially like playing games is the time you really build that chemistry is, is off the field. Yeah. Like it's nice to be able to learn like playing styles and that kind of stuff, but then you really get to learn about people and, you know, their family and, and just everything about what kind of person they are from hanging around and and shooting the shit and playing card games and that kind of stuff. And I'm, I'm glad that we didn't play any of the games that like the water dogs or the whip snakes were playing when you had to put in, you know, (laughs) five, $600. And ours is just kind of, Ours is just more kind of for a pride and and uh, kind of talking shit to the people if you beat them the next day. Uh, that, that that stuff's out of control. I, I got caught up with that with on the whip snakes a little bit and, and with Drew out in Seattle. But man, I think I'd have should... a heart attack if I had to put six hundred dollars <laughs> into the pot. Yeah, dude, it's in the, you're in the heat of the moment and, and your pride's on the line. Like you got to buckle up. You know that the money on the, <laughs> that fucking pot. You get serious real quick. Um, but yeah, you, you talk a little bit about off the field um, and, and kind of building that that chemistry get to know people talk to us a little bit about what you're doing off the field i know you're working with with denver city lax is that that full time for you um outside of being you know a professional player or what else are you doing to kind of keep occupied and, and really make a career out of out of the kind of platform you're building as a player right now yeah so uh working for denver cx is my full-time job um i've been with them for about nine years now ever since i graduated i first started as like uh a part-time thing as uh, I, was, I was looking for other jobs. And then as each kind of month and week passed, I just love, I just realized how much I loved uh, coaching kids and, and providing opportunities to people. And it just kind of became something that I found out that I was super passionate about. And um, I've kind of been with it ever since. And I think in college, sometimes you can get like run down from like the everyday monotony of, you know, you're grinding school, obviously like that. And I didn't know what I want to do. And, and working with Sigilax and with the kids kind of like brought that love to the game back for me again. And then, and allowed me to be able to keep playing and which I love to do. Cause I'm, I'm just like everyone else in the league. They're super competitive and want to keep that, you know, you want to keep playing and, and, and being competitive because you get that itch all the time. And um, yeah, so, so that's what I've been doing. And then also um, do some camps and stuff like that in the summertime. And then just try to, to coach and, and keep building that game in Colorado. But, you know, 2020 brought, a lot of issues to the forefront with, with lacrosse and the community and the social injustice and all that kind of stuff. And, but with the city lacks diversity and financial inclusion has always been at the top of that list for us. So um, including diversity into the sport and a financial inclusion that, you know, we're removing the financial barrier. So everything that we do and we offer is completely free of charge to our kids and our families. And um, you know, that kind of that work kind of like further cemented what CLAX has done uh, they've been around since 2007. And like I said, I've been able to help like assist and do for the last eight to nine years. And, and for me personally, it's not just about introducing lacrosse and getting sticks in the hands of kids, which is awesome. And I'm all for that. And 
um, you know, that, that needs to be happened, but instead it's also providing year round opportunities like lacrosse education and enrichment that allow parent that allow participants to excel in the sport all at no cost, you know, and, and taking that cost away so that more people can be able to play. And, you know, a big thing has been talked about and, and brought up and I'm, I'm so glad it has, especially like you with your work with like the black lacrosse Alliance and everything that's been brought up is, you know, change needs to happen. And we all see it, especially in our sport. Like it, it needs to happen. It needs to happen hopefully sooner rather than later. And, but, you know, unfortunately change isn't instantaneous, you know, and the, and the sport that we talk about wanting is a diverse, a diverse sport an inclusive sport that everyone can play. And, you know, I think it's going to take a generation or two, but it's the work that's happening right now that is going to create that change. That's going to make it possible, you know, and the cost of all sports is high. Uh, but especially the cross, if you look at it and, and seems to only be getting higher and higher. And uh, the most pressing thing that we need to ensure as a community is that all people are given the opportunity to afford to participate and take advantage of other like elite opportunities, such as camps and competitive teams and travel. And, and until that comes like us as SIDACs, we're going to keep continuing to fund those opportunities and, and try to level the playing field. And, um, you know, our goal is, is always just been to use lacrosse as a vehicle to further people's education um, and give them an awesome experience that they then want to become lifelong participants in the sport. And when, when people ask, you know, how can they help and, and do their part? There's always two things that come to mind for me. And, and um, you know, there's urban programs all over the country. And I can think of places like no matter where you go in the country, if you look up your local urban program, you're going to be able to find it. So in California, there's, you know, there's Harlem, there's Oakland lacrosse in Chicago, there's owls in DC, there's winners lacrosse, there's Brooklyn lacrosse, there's, there's city lacrosse, in New York, uh, there's Bridge Dallas, and I I know I'm missing a couple, and I apologize for those those programs that I am missing. But you know, to a lot of them, people always ask, and I can always say, like the two biggest things you can do is is volunteer to coach, and going to being a part of those kids' lives, and and being a part of it, and like a constant factor in their playing lacrosse days. And then number two is is contributing financially. You know, it's uh, as everyone knows that lacrosse is an expensive sport, and and everything that we're doing is all free of no charge that we're spending roughly around like a thousand bucks a kid. And, uh, so to make those programs happen and to keep growing the sport, like the financial part's a huge piece of it. So we always have two big fundraisers each year that allow us to, um, keep doing that and keep giving to people. So we're thankful for it. And I'm going to do a little shameless plug here that if people want to participate, we have two fundraisers. One is, uh, one is a, uh, it's called the city Lacks dash, which is a, a 5k running fundraiser event. Um, but this year, with everything happening, we're going to off, offer a uh, virtual option as well. Uh, so anyone, you know, youth, elementary, middle school, high school, club programs, college programs, we're uh, offering and inviting anyone and everyone else to come participate on behalf of CityLax. Um, and that's going to be on between February 7th and February 14th. Um, if people are interested in finding out more information about our program or how to sign up, you can check out our website at citylaxdenver.org. Check out our Instagram at, at Denver City Lax, or personally direct message me, and I'll, I'll answer any and all questions. Um, and then the other one we always have is we do a big gala each year, which is always super fun. But you know, with, with things going on, it's going to be virtual this year. Um, I wish we could be in person to see everyone because it's always been a big fun time that get like the whole Denver lacrosse community out that comes out and uh, celebrate success that their kids are having through the sport of lacrosse. And um, you know, like the most we can do is just keep providing opportunities for kids. And, and that's what keeps bringing me back to it is I always was given these opportunities and people didn't have to. And, and it's about, you know, taking advantage of those opportunities. That's going to be the biggest thing that can change um, a kid's life and, and, and put them in the right direction. 
Listen, man, I appreciate your passion. And, you know, it, it really means a lot to me, you know, with the stuff that I got going on. Um, and obviously the stuff that's happened this past year, wh where did that start for you? I know, I know you mentioned kind of that, that spark, the love of the game, kind of get back into it, but was there, you know, a coach or an instance along the way that, you know, kind of connected you um, to this a little bit deeper than, than just joining City Lax and, and kind of getting involved? Or was it something that you just saw, you know, a need for it and felt like you were the right guy to do the job? Uh, you know, that's a, that's a great question. I don't think anyone's ever, I've never really been approached that question, but thinking off like the top of my head, um, when I was at Salisbury, uh, we had a player on our team, Sam Bradman, who at the time I think was Sick. the filthiest lacrosse player I've ever seen in my life. Yeah. Yep. Um, and that was like going from high school in Colorado to seeing him play. I was like, he's the best lacrosse player to ever live, like ever live. Like he was the epitome of a natural goal scorer. He could go out and do anything and everything. And I thought he was so nasty. And um, it like, it really shocked me, upset me that like we would be playing against teams. Like they would drop the end bomb on him. And I never personally heard it or else I feel like I would have had ones, but I remember him like coming off and like getting so pissed on the sidelines. And, and after games, I remember talking to him being like, what's going on? He was like, yeah, they called me. And so I was like, I remember it hit me. I was like, people actually do that. Like what's wrong with people? Like, mm -hmm there's there's a point of being like competitive and talking trash and that's all part of the game but to take it to that level like it was just unexplainable and like just just outrageous to me so i remember like having talks with him about it and him always saying that you know like kyle harrison used to reach out to him i used to think that was the coolest thing ever like mm -hmm. you talk to kyle harrison like that is the coolest yeah. thing ever <laughs> literally now i'm playing against him like years later which is crazy um and then even at my time at, at denver we had a couple um african-american team like cam flint a uh, good friend of mine. And then Terry Ellis, who we had on our team that was from St. Louis and coming to, to Denver and like seeing them and, and hearing them talk about the struggles of, of what it is to like play lacrosse at, at that when it is a, a completely white sport, you know, and like the struggles they just had of like feeling like they belonged in the locker room and, and, and that kind of stuff. And so none of that really hit me until, you know, I got out of college. And then once I like this opportunity was presented to me, I was like, wow, like, this stuff is still happening and and there are racially charged comments. And, and even when I like first got to the program, like my first couple of practices, like there's just things in life that are happening that you, you could never explain. And then no, nothing has ever fired me up more and almost kicked out of the game of coaching is when parents on the sideline or coaches use racially charged comments towards my kids. You know, I love these kids like they're my own. And, and if they're going to call them, you know, thugs and and all sort of stuff i've you know i don't think i'm a very violent person but i've almost come to blows a couple <laughs> times of of wanting to get after these guys because it's just it, it's just crazy to me that that stuff can still happen and people feel like it's okay to still have these things and and you know the more diversity that we can have in the sport the better the sport's going to be you know and and the more people are exposed to it and more people are exposed to diversity in the sport i think it will open their eyes that you know they've been idiots for thinking the way they have for the past however many years that, uh, that fires me up it's getting my blood pumping thinking about you getting yeah like it's up on the sideline right yeah now. it's like and i'm sure you've experienced it but like that like for me is like the first time i ever like personally like really experienced like a deep level for me and like i like i can't even explain like as you can tell like i'm like speechless like even thinking about it like it just it really bothered me and like to the point i was like shaking and and you know 
Yeah, and, no. and, and it's it's a learned thing and that was the thing that, that like bothered me it's like it's a it's a learned trait that comes down it's like that coach saying that then makes those players think that which then those players as soon as the game is over now they're going and telling their parents that and that's what they're going to think mm-hmm. like short example not to take much time on it like no, the team that i coached i started coaching them when they were in first grade and uh me and and two of my and three of my other best friends uh too much that played a du with me like we took them from first grade all the way to eighth grade and one of the years we were playing in the, in the highest division and we got beat by this team, like 12, nothing. And then 13, nothing. And then we go and play them at the end of the year tournament. And our kids are like, Oh man, we have to play this team again. And I was like, you know, give them the big pump up speech of, you know, the miracle of we might play them a hundred times and 99 times it might be this, but you never know about that one. And our kids came out firing and we went up and we ended up winning the game. And at the end of the game, you know, the coach like when he's shaking his hands, like he accused me of having older players on our team. And, and the parents then came up and accused me of saying, you know, they're going to report me to blah, 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 that I cheated, that I used all these older players, that, you know, that couldn't just happen, and X, Y, and Z of, of why it couldn't happen. And it, it just it, it blew me away that they thought because we were a group of kids that, and, and everyone until we beat them. Everyone's like, oh, we love all the work that you're doing, all that kind of stuff. And then as soon as we beat them, legitimately playing lacrosse the right way, then that's when everything gets blown up and they think that we're the, we're cheaters. We're, you know, we're, we're not playing the game the right way. We're too physical. We're too tough. And man. There are, this is maybe not be a popular opinion, but there are entities that be that do not want the game to be more diverse. They, they want to keep it the way it is. And, and that's, those are the kind of people that say, you know, great job, Eric. But the minute shit starts to change, it's like, Oh, hold up, hold up, hold up. This game's exclusive can't have more people that look like that playing and and that's the truth otherwise you know there's a lot of people with a lot of money and a lot of power that can be impacted in this game but it takes guys like yourself you know great people out there that are doing the hard work on the grounds to change it and you know that's what it's going to continue to take for you this summer you know and, and you know the past six to eight months what's that been like conversation wise with the kids you know what what have you had to communicate has it been uncomfortable for you? Has it been more of a bonding experience? What, what, what was that like for you? It's been, it's been both of those things. It's been uncomfortable and it's been a learning experience for me. Like I'm, I'm a white, you know, twenties male and I've never experienced anything that they've experienced. And, you know, mm-hmm. we tried to have talks with them, you know, completely removing lacrosse from the picture. Like I, I like, I was just trying to learn about their lives, you know, about, how they feel from, you know, walking to and from school every day and, and how they feel in a classroom and that kind of stuff. And, and it was really a learning experience for me that, you know, I wish I would have like, yeah, I've heard stories from them before, but it really just took the time for me to really like understand and hearing from, you know, high school kids about them being pulled over just because they had a, um, a, uh, air freshener on their river mirror, you know, and just, and, and just stuff like that, that just means being like, like, I, like I will never experience any of these things. And it was just good for me to be like, I've been their coach for however many long, always telling them like, this is what you should do. And this is how you should act and all this stuff that it was an extremely humbling experience for me to sit down and be like, you guys coach me, like coach Mm -hmm. me through it. Like, what has it been like? And, and uh, I think it was super impactful. Some of the conversations that we had and, and, you know, I think it only just grew our SADAX community even stronger um, through everything that was going on. And, and I just hope at the end of the day, that, like my kids know and everyone in our program knows that like I will go to bat for them anytime of the day, 
at any time that they can reach out to me and, and I will always be on their side. I will always protect them. I will always be with them. And uh, I will never stop, you know, working to, um, you know, make their lives, especially in lacrosse, as as comfortable and as fair as it can be and, and give them the same opportunities that, that other people have. And, and while removing the financial barrier of like, no matter what their goal is, I'm going to do my absolute best to help them achieve that goal and, and see how far they can go. That's real shit, man. I, I appreciate that. Honestly, I didn't know how passionate you were about it. Like I said, been admiring you from afar on the lacrosse side, but I'm, I'm really glad we got to talk about this side of it because got a lot more respect for you. And I know that there's a lot of people out there that need to hear the good work that a person like yourself in, in a position you are in as a player on the field is doing. And, and those kids are lucky, man. It's, it, it takes, like I said, people like you um, to really invest in time across the country and then those other programs for us to be able to see change. It's not going to happen overnight. Um, but I know, you know, even today, the PLL coming out with the stuff with the Iroquois and the partnership that they have, they have 10 years ago, you know, I know that I grew up being able to say that I, I learned the history of the game from jump. And that was just because my coaches, you know, made it a point of emphasis. So I always respected, you know, Native Americans and thought that that was, that was, you know, the right thing to do was to honor the game. Like that from jump was what I thought. And, and over the years, the more you kind of get into it, the older you get, you realize how fucked up the game really is. And then it takes these things like the PLL going out of the way to create a partnership. Guys like yourself that are doing these things in CLACs, it's going to take a more of this and a wave of that to really create change. So 10 years from now, we can look back and be like, wow, you know, we are 10 years stronger. The game is more inclusive. It's more diverse, not because we're forcing it to be more diverse, but because there's an opportunity for kids from the inner city, kids from Native American communities, kids from anywhere, no matter what their financial you know, situation is, no matter what they look like, they have an opportunity to play a game that we love, you know? Absolutely. And I, and I want to thank you and, and the other guys in the, in the Black Lives Crimes and, and the stuff that you guys do because you do have so many kids that look up to you guys. And, and I can't tell you how much it means to them to be able to look up and, and watch a PLO game and, and see some of the same colors as them. As the, and they know that, you know what, like they can be the next one. They can be the next Jules Hemingberg. They can be the next Miles Jones. They can be the next Trevor Baptiste and all these guys. And, and I can't tell you how much it means to them. Like you're all their favorite players, as hard as that is for me to tell them. <laughs> and and hear that from them and you're like oh who's your favorite player like oh i'm like guys i'm standing right here you <laughs> come on like what's going yeah. on uh no but i, I like seriously we can't thank you guys enough for what you're doing and bringing tunes because there's a lot of young kids that are looking up to you guys that that want to be the next one and, and showing them that there is a path and there is a different way uh to success and get to that next level and and use the cross as a way to to further their education and 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 make them better people all around Dope, bro. Well, I appreciate it, man. This has been awesome. And like I said, really enlightening to hear from you both in terms of what you're thinking on the field. Uh, like I said, I've always admired you that, on that front, but you know, really the stuff that you're doing off the field, it, it really means a lot. So I appreciate you jumping on here. This has been great. Yeah, absolutely. Sorry for the uh, deep conversations. I swear I can usually be a pretty fun guy with some laughs, but <laughs> you know, when stuff gets serious, we can get down to it. Nah, nah, it's all good. There's a time and place for it, man. It's just how it goes sometimes. Thank you, everyone, for tuning into this week's episode of Unbuckled. As always, make sure to subscribe and rate the podcast, please. Five stars. You can go follow Eric on Instagram and Twitter at elaw underscore 15. And don't forget to holler at Denver City Lax as well. Hit him in the DMs. He's looking for the support. Appreciate you guys for tuning in. I'll catch you next time with 22 Ryan Jenner. Mm.